You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bridget, it's so good to be with y'all today. Happy to be in the building. Oh, man. And uh, Pastor Greta already acknowledged that I'm accompanied by my better half, my, my ride or die, my homie, uh, the beautiful Fredlin. Yes, yes. And then my daughter Hadassah is about to turn 16 and my son Hakeem just graduated from high school and we're getting ready to do the college thing and Shiloh the baby just turned 10. So uh, we've had a lot of things to celebrate as of late and um, today y'all's got a chance to meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> but um, Johnny and Manny are my godsons and they're here with us today and Aaron is their ride or die. He's rolling today. So um, we're just happy that y'all could be here with us today as well. Let's pray. Speak, Lord, for we desire to hear from you. Lord, prepare the grounds of our heart and enable us to draw nearer to you as a result of the proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, Bridge, I had a chance to uh, hang with uh, Apostle Gidry, and uh, we were hanging around the corner at J&M. J&M is my favorite, favoritest breakfast spot on the planet. And um, from time to time, we try to make it there and, and just kind of, uh, uh, I sit there and I listen and I try to glean from the well that is Apostle Gidry. And uh, from time to time, he allows me to share a thing or two. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> um, but at that time, he said, man, I'm gonna be away on Father's Day, on, on the third week of, of June. Uh, are you able to cover? And I was like, dude, that's Father's Day. That's like sacrilegious to not be in the pulpit on Father's Day. And he was like, man, I'm not here. Um, are you able? I said, man, you have asked. Yes, sir. Apostle Gidry, sir. Um, and so I'm happy to be here. We made some arrangements back home at Restoration and excited to be here. And as usual, you know, um, I don't take these assignments lightly. I really firmly believe that when the Lord has me come, he has become with an assignment. And so, and so I think I'm here on assignment. And so I was praying, as I'm praying, uh, this passage comes to mind for me and it's gonna serve as the backdrop of our message today. And our message today is entitled, What's in a Father? What's in a Father? The text comes out of the book of Malachi, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. These are the very last verses of the Old Testament. 
very last verse of the Old Testament. So if anyone has a struggle getting there, right, right, it's the middle kind of right before the New Testament hits, right, they normally have a couple of extra sheets in there, right, before the book of Matthew, Malachi, and it's the last two verses of the book of Malachi, and they read as follows, reading from the New King James. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. I want you to see this last portion of this scripture. Lest I come and strike the earth with the curse. May the Lord bless this portion of scripture. Today we live in an age where a curse has hit the land. A curse has straight up hit the church as well. It's bold to say that, but the data don't lie. The data don't lie, family. While there are sparks of revival and life throughout Christendom, and churches are popping up all over the world, particularly in our more charismatic and Pentecostal circles, it's a far cry from Acts 2. <clears throat> what happened in Acts 2 as the church was birthed was explosion. What has happened today in 2023 is stagnation and in some cases even regression. There's something very, very wrong. As a matter of fact, I want to share some data here. According to the Tennessean, there are just under 500,000 fewer members and 416 fewer churches in the Southern Baptist Convention in 2022 compared to 2023. Why do we share that? In the United States of America, where we live, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest church. It's the largest Protestant denomination. And last year, they lost 500,000 members. They closed 416 churches. It's alarming to think, but it wasn't just last year, right? They've been on the decline every year since 2007. And so there's this picture of this narrative in regards to what's happening in the church as a whole, right? And while we see the mega church get the limelight, the church was never intended to be a mega church. So those are always going to be outliers, right? The church was supposed to always be this haven where disciples disciple disciples, right? And the church grows almost organically out of relationship. And when that doesn't happen, there's something wrong. When the church becomes an entity where someone gets on a stage and it's all about lights, camera, action, and it's performance-based, that's not the church that Jesus Christ established. It's not the church that Jesus Christ died for, right? When the church becomes this mega organization that's ultimately about performance and not about relationship, then we've missed the mark. But think about this just for a moment. What has happened as of late? Folks don't even come to church no more. They watch the performance online because that's what the church has degenerated to, 
right? Now, even more broadly, when we go beyond just, you know, the Southern Baptist ordeal, if we look at the Catholic Church, the data is even more stark and even more alarming, right? The Catholic Church, let me see, let me, let me get in the notes here, just to kind of do justice to this. The Catholic Church, the largest church globally, numbers are even more alarming. Since 1970, weekly church attendance amongst Catholics has dropped from 55% to 20%. Now let's think about this. Let's think about what that means just for a moment. Here's what it means. Of the people who claim to be Catholic, right, one out of five actually go to church. I'm hoping you get the picture here, right? Of the people who claim to be Catholic, right? They say, yeah, I'm a Catholic. I'm a devout Catholic. One out of five go to church. And that's a picture of Christendom. That's a picture of capital C church. By contrast, the fastest growing religion is Islam. And here's what the data states, that by 2050, by 2050, there are going to be globally as many Muslims as there are Christians, and shortly thereafter, there'll be more Muslims than there are Christians. They're increasing, we're declining. And the question I have today is why? Why? No sociologists, pastors, researchers, Everyone kind of has, okay, the church is in decline. We've got all this data that proves the church is in decline. Why? When they ask folks, folks say things like, uh, it's simply about there aren't any real relationships anymore. I don't necessarily feel it being valuable anymore. The church has become out of touch. It's no longer relevant anymore. And there's this realization that what once was this dynamic connection between not just church leaders and church members, but ultimately between the Spirit of God and there being an encounter with the Spirit of God, seems to have waned so much so that we've kind of relegated ourselves to these programs that come about, these programs rather than this vibrant, authentic relationship with Jesus-centered gathering that then from the gathering then goes forth outwards to share the gospel and share the good news with those who don't know Jesus. All right, trying to lay foundation here, trying to lay foundation here for today. So now, what do, in my humble opinion, what do I really think as I think about this really is at the root of this. Family, I contend that one of the things that is least taught about in the church, but most fundamental to the church, is this idea of what it actually means to be a father. I grew up the son of a preacher, and I remember one day I was in church. My dad was uh, like leading a song selection, and I was in the back of the church carrying on, acting a fool. I was mucking it up with my boys, yuck, 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 laughing. 
And so my dad stopped the song. A church had like maybe three, four hundred people in it. My dad stopped the song, y'all. And he was like, Emmanuel, <laughs> go to your mother. <laughs> Man, I was so angry. Like, how dare he? But then I, if I dared say I'm upset or I'm mad or I, I would have died, y'all. I would have straight died. My pops would have came over. His look would have melted me and I would have just I would have vanished, vanquished, right? Because, because that was the kind of reverence we grew up with in terms of our fathers, right? right. Like, and so my man stopped the service. I still, I still am so baffled by it, right? He stopped service and then there were, I was mucking it up with four or five of my boys in the back, right? And then when he stopped service, Everyone got quiet real quick, right? And then they all put their head down. And then they saw me do the walk of shame across the church to my mother, right? And it was like, I was sitting in the back, right? And then my mother was like all the way across in the front. So I had to kind of do the walk of shame and walk to my mother. And it felt like everyone in the church turned and looked, right? <laughs> the walk of shame was real, right? And, and, and here's the point though, right? The point was there's this reverence for the spoken directive of the Father that mattered back then. By contrast, uh, last week, this week, I don't know. Um, a congregant came up to me and told me, Pastor, um, I think the Lord's leading me to divorce my wife. And I said, so you called me pastor, right? Yes, 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 pastor. Um, and I said, so um, in no way, shape, or form in the scriptures does the Bible say that you should be divorcing your wife while there are biblical reasons for divorce to happen. The Bible says God hates divorce, right? And so I say that to him, right? And you know what he says in response? I disagree, pastor. I said, well, okay, sir. <laughs> you know, um, if you disagree with me, what about the word of God? Here's some scriptures that kind of corroborate just so that you know that this isn't my opinion, right? Right? I want you to chew on the scriptures and let's talk again, right? And then we talk, I think, so we talked this week. So that was two weeks ago. We talked this week, this past week. And when we talked this week, right, what came out loud and clear was, you know, this idea of pastor, spiritual father, shepherd, guide, Nah, that's not it. You are, as long as you agree with me, pastor and guide, as long as what you've got to say lines up with my comfortability, you know, then you can pastor me. Because pastoring me must align with what I want to do. That's the generation in which we live in today. And as such, what happens is we can't grow because that's not the design that the Lord laid out for us. 
That's not the design that was laid out for us in Scripture. Like, guys, I would have died, y'all. It's like, I would have died if I told my pops, yo, I ain't getting up now. Right? Could you imagine? Like, could you imagine, right, what would have happened? Like, y'all don't even know my dad. Like, shoot, I was 24 years old. I moved back after college. And then I went out with a friend, right? I went out with a friend, and the friend happened to be female. But she was a friend. I wasn't dating. My dad called me up. It's 11 at night, son. Where I was a grown 25-year-old man. Where are you at? and I need you here now. I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> and here's the reason, here's the reason. Till this day, my, I'm a grown man with children, right? It don't matter. It don't matter because the way I was brought up was that there's got to be reverence. <laughs> there's got to be a submission and there's got to be a loyalty to your father. And it's not a control thing. It's an alignment thing for, your bened- for the benediction that the Lord desires to pour out, the blessing that the Lord desires to pour out, just like you saw from John Paul Jackson to you decades later. That blessing is to go forth, but it's as you submit to God's design to this thing. And here's the question. Are we truly submitted to God's design? All right. So for me, friends, this is about, as, as, as I really look at this, I contend that a curse has hit our land and a disconnect between son and daughter and father not only exists, but it's actually the current practice law of the land. And here's what this results in. This results in the dropping of mantles. The dropping of mantles. I want to make sure y'all hear me, because some of y'all might be like, what does that even mean, the dropping of a mantle? What's a a mantle, right? When I think about this, and the reason why I even come to this conclusion, what, what jumps out to me as I'm thinking about how important it is for a father to pass along a mantle and a legacy, if you will, to a spiritual son. The text that jumps to the top of this for me, the story that jumps to the top of this for me is Elijah and Elisha. So we're going to read a little bit of this and unpack this a little bit, if we can today. We're in 1 Kings 19, uh, and we're going to start in verses 13, and we're going to read through 18 again, from the New King James. But I want to give a little bit of backdrop of this story before we uh, really get into it. Um, Really, it's probably one of the most remarkable stories in all of the scriptures, right? In 1 Kings 18, Elijah challenges 450 prophets of Baal. You all probably remember the story, or at least bits of it. And as he challenges these prophets of Baal, right, he commands fire down from heaven. The fire consumes the sacrifice. And after fire consumes the sacrifice, the 450 prophets of Baal are put to death. Now, that's a win for the kingdom, y'all. 
450 prophets of Baal put to death, and Elijah is on top of the world. Talk about a spiritual high. I just took down 450 prophets of Baal, and then 1 Kings 19 hits, right? The very next chapter, Jezebel says, because of what you did to the prophets of Baal, I'm not going to rest, you know, Mark, by this day tomorrow, same things will happen to you, etc. And Elisha is running now for his life. He goes from the spiritual high to the spiritual low, and lower than low is where Elijah ends up. He is running, running for his life. He's depressed. He's discouraged. He's like, God, I just did this thing for you, and how could you allow this to happen to me, right? Anyone ever have been there, right, where you're like, God, I thought I did right, and now everything's going wrong. No one's ever been here? No one's ever been there? Yeah, man. Right, right, right. And, 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 then, and then what's he do as he's running? As he is running, he gets so bad that Elijah even considers and contemplates suicide, right? My man goes from bad, great, high, to bad, to worse, to worser than worse, right? And that's where he finds himself. And then we come to our text. The Lord now encounters, chases after Elijah. I don't know about you, but I praise the Lord that in my rebellion and my stubborn stupidity where I run from God because I'm scared or because of whatever it is people say, right, that God comes after me. Amen. So still faithful, even in spite of my faithlessness, God is faithful. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 13, we pick up the story with God encountering and chasing after Elijah. And let's pick it up right in verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Man. Man, it's a remarkable text. Elisha is at his lowest, and then God meets him and gives him instruction, direction, hope. Praise the Lord for his willingness and commitment to meeting us right where we are. Hallelujah, Hallelujah is right. 
Elijah finds himself there, and as he finds himself there, God meets him and then gives him these specific instructions. Anoint one king, anoint another king, because that second king is going to follow after the first king. But beyond the anointing of the kings, anoint Elisha. Anoint Elisha, who's going to be prophet in your place. And here's what's crazy about this. There had been a number of other prophets, so much so that they called them the school of prophets that kind of followed around Elijah, right? There were all these other guys there, but none of them that were there were the son. Please hear this, right? Just because you come to church doesn't make you a son or a daughter. Just because you're on the board, that doesn't make you a son or a daughter. Just because you're in leadership and you're around and you're present doesn't make you a son or a daughter. All these other schools of prophets are present, but they're not. They're not a son. Bridge, I'm praying that you hear this right. Your attendance doesn't equate to your sonship. God tells Elisha, go and anoint Elisha. Go and anoint Elisha. There are all these other cats that have been around and continue to be around, but nah. Go anoint Elisha. Who's Elisha? So happy you asked. Great question. Great question. Elisha is this man that the scriptures teach us as Elijah goes and anoints him. He's pushing one yoke of oxen, but he's got 12 of them. He is not just wealthy. He's, for his time, very wealthy, right? Think of one yoke of oxen as his tractor. He got, one, he got 12 tractors, y'all. He got 12, tra- he got 12 tractors, Brother Jeff. <laughs> my, man, my man's doing some things in the earth, right? And, and, and what does he do? The minute Elijah comes, right, Elisha drops everything and he follows. He drops everything, whatever status he had, the wealth, you name it. He drops everything and then he becomes servant to Elijah. Do you know that there are times when the Lord has you in places where you're serving leaders that you're more qualified than? And the test of your servitude is what determines whether or not you'll actually be elevated. You got more degrees than your boss on your job more experience and you feel like you're telling your boss how to do his job anyone ever been there don't raise your hand don't raise your hand don't raise your hand but here's the truth of this your willingness to serve in that place is part of what determines whether or not you're then qualified to be elevated to the next place some of y'all are here just to hear that 
Because the reality, friends, is this. It don't matter how gifted you are. It don't matter how uh, qualified and you know, experienced you are. You might have cast out hundreds of demons before and prophesied to presidents, but are you willing to serve? Are you faithful? Can you commit to the task before you? Are you faithful? So my man Elisha drops everything and then he follows. He follows family. He doesn't just follow, right? He serves. He serves. He's not interested in hype or position or accolades. He's simply interested and committed to serving. You see, the difference between the school of prophets that happen to be around and the anointed son of Elijah is that he was willing, Elisha was willing to come and come close to the prophet and actually serve him rather than stay afar and look at him and almost view him as what can I get from him to kind of elevate me to my next. He went from having and being around, again, we see the school of prophets uh, several times in, in the book of two kings, right? But they had been here all along, right? And these are the dudes that the Lord rejects. Those are the churchgoers, gifted, but not submitted, anointed, prophetic, but not necessarily submitted. And here's what happens. Again, I want you to hear this loud and clear because this is the point of this. When that's the reality, right? When that's the reality, and, and friends, that's the reality of much of Christendom. Folks go to church and it's a consideration as to what folks are going to apply and take in. Hmm, that sounds good. So maybe I'll try to apply that piece of it to my life. But that other stuff, that's too hard. You know what I'm saying? You're talking about fasting? I'm not going fast. The only thing I do fast is sleep. I sleep fast, but I'm not going to actually fast and put away my plate because the church said that. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not interested in that. That's inconvenience. That's uncomfortable. That's too much. That's not the type of Christian I feel I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be the type of Christian that I'm comfortable in being. So don't force me. Right? Don't push me. Don't guide me. Heaven forbid, lead me to a place that you know, no, 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 that's too much. It's too much. Right? It's too much. And so what happens while the school or company of prophets dependent upon your translation, right, are in existence? None of them are sons. None of them are daughters. Right? And there's only this Elisha that God has to go get who's not even connected yet. But he's got the right makeup. He's got the right spirit. And the Lord is able to take him and allow him to go through the process of actually being a son. I want to ask you this question because to me, this 
again, speaks to this thing. What happens when there's this disconnect? We, we, we read this text from jump. Oh, man, time's already flying, y'all. We read this text from jump, right? The, the, you know, uh, uh, Malachi uh, 4, 5, and 6. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, Elijah the prophet's going to come, and he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to the sons and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse, right? And what I shared with you is that this results in the dropping of mantles. And I think about the dropping of mantles, particularly for a day, because I think about mantles that we haven't seen picked up as of yet, right? I think about a Billy Graham, right? Have we seen an evangelist emerge in the spirit of a Billy Graham? I think about a Kenneth Hagin, right? I think about a Miles Monroe, a Catherine Kuhlman, right? Shoot, I think about a John Paul Jackson, right? Right? Here we are, Bridge, right? We're here in the house that John Paul Jackson established, but where's his mantle? Where's that mantle, family? Has anyone picked up the mantle? Two Kings 2. Two Kings 2. I'm going to try to move a little bit more quickly here. I got time. Okay, praise the Lord. Hey, hey, hey y'all. She said I got time. That means I got two more hours. Praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Woo. Pastor Greta. You know what I'm saying? Y'all, if y'all got beef, y'all got beef with Pastor Greta, right? Praise the Lord. Okay. <laughs> but, friends, this idea of a mantle is significant. It's significant. Man, oh, man. Is it significant? I want to talk about it a little bit just to define it, just so that we kind of understand we're on the same page as to what we're talking about here when I state it. The word mantle uh, in the Hebrew is the word adareth. And adareth is translated as glory, a cloak, splendor, magnificence. You know, a cloak made of uh, a fur or fine material and or a prophet's garment. It's this idea that a glory cloak becomes the point of contact between God and his glory and splendor and man. So a mantle, you might see people even today, they wear a prayer shawl, right? And while... Is it necessary? No, but it's a picture or a symbol of a point of contact. It's where God's glory touches man and man's glory comes about, if that makes any sense, right? And so this picture of a mantle, I almost want you to picture it as a big old prayer shawl that the prophet walks with. The prophet walks with this prayer shawl. And why? Because it's that mantle that God touches. And so when we read 1 Kings 19, what we saw was that as God's presence shows up, he wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the storm, but he was in that still small voice. And when he shows up in that still small voice, Elijah hides himself in the mantle. Right? He hides himself in the mantle. And the picture is the mantle becomes that point of contact. Right, right, mantle comes to that point of contact. Now, I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings 
chapter 2. Elijah hides himself in this thing, and that's the big, the big picture. I'm going to start 2 Kings chapter 2 in verse 6. It reads as follows, Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me onto the Jordan. But, but he said, this is Elisha, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Verse 7, And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Y'all see that picture? right? The sons of the prophets that are always around, right? But they're always at a distance, always at a distance, not close enough to be intimate, not willing enough to truly submit, right? So they're in there, they're there, they're present, but they're not. Verse number, verse number eight. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed on dry ground. Again, another picture of this mantle that we're talking about here. Verse 9. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Whoa, my people, a double portion of your spirit be upon me. That's a huge request. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But let me, before we go there, let me just talk, mention this. In the, in the book of Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, there are, uh, I believe, seven recorded miracles for Elijah, and there are 14 recorded miracles for Elisha. So that double portion request is fulfilled to a T, right? What, what Elisha wants right, and prays about, he not only receives, he receives to the T, and here's the reasoning behind it. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I'm going to share it nonetheless, right? What makes Elisha able to be the son of Elijah is that Elisha not only catches his spirit, he develops the vision required to walk as a son. Let's go back. I want to kind of finish this and then go back to that. All right, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I'm at verse number 10 here. Verse number 10 here. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, look at this, y'all. If you see me, if you see me when I'm taken from you. Again, this is about vision, right? It shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces, into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Right? Y'all see that? He asked the question with the mantle. Y'all see that, right? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that way and Elijah crossed over. I'm praying you see that piece of it. 
right? Elijah picks up the mantle. Elisha picks up the mantle, right? First thing he does, he mourns, he rips the clothes, but after he picks up the mantle, he does what Elijah did. He asks the question, where's the Lord of Elijah, right? And then he strikes the ground, right, the water, and the water splits just as it did for Elijah. And it's affirmation that the mantle hadn't just fallen to him figuratively or, or literally, but spiritually. He's walking in the same authority. He's walking in the same power. I'll stop there for the sake of this, and I'm going to try to kind of close up. So ready, noon's at. Most biblical historians believe that Elisha in, verse, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, where Elijah is called first. Y'all remember this? God speaks to Elijah, and then he says, go anoint Elisha, right? And then he goes and anoints Elijah. Between 1 Kings 19 and this moment that we just read in 2 Kings chapter 2, most scholars believe at minimum 10 to 12 years had passed. At minimum 10 to 12 years of serving. At minimum 10 to 12 years of carrying the bag. At minimum 10 to 12 years of, I need no accolade even though I come to this thing paid, right? I need none of that, I'm a servant. And I'm committed to being a servant. And I'm committed to being a servant for a decade. I don't care. Because the point is this, right? The very first point is this. The true test of a real son or daughter is about how submitted are you really? How loyal are you really? How submitted are you really? I once had a, uh, 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 I was at a conference. Uh, JP, you was at this conference with me, right? Preacher said, uh, if as a spiritual father, my job is to circumcise you, not castrate you, circumcise you. And if I can't cut you in these inner places, then I can't truly be a father to you. I sat there and I said, ma'am. And honestly, I asked the question, have I allowed anyone to truly circumcise me? Y'all's following me here. What I'm praying that you're hearing is that there's a process to truly becoming a son and a daughter. And what has happened in terms of the church is we've got a bunch of churchgoers, but not spiritual sons and daughters. We've got a bunch of church attenders, but not true disciples. Three things come out of this for me, and then we're going to wind down. Number one, verses six to eight of what we just read from 2 Kings 2 really demonstrates an earnest, submitted loyalty. An earnest, submitted loyalty. 
several things. What enables Elisha to pick up the mantle? Number one, an earnest submitted loyalty. What enables Elisha to go forward is that he's first and foremost loyal. He submitted. He submitted. Are you submitted? Number two, vision. We already talked about this as well. But verses 9 and 10 of 2 Kings 2 really demonstrate that Elisha, the qualification for him to actually receive the double portion is he's got to be able to see. What do you see? It's remarkable. His vision, Elijah's vision, was Elisha wants to walk in a double portion of the anointing of his father, which is remarkable, right? His vision was beyond his, his spiritual dad, right? And that's really, in a lot of ways, all of us who are fathers and mothers, we always want to see our children expand beyond us. And Elisha catches this in the spirit. Man, Elisha says, you know what? Sometimes, right? Some of us here, we go nowhere because we have no vision to go anywhere. Our vision is simply what we already have the capacity to do. It's not big enough. It's not God-sized vision. Right? It's not big enough. And so what Elisha sees and does is, man, what do I want? I, I want to see the things of God not just blow up, but I want to see the move of God happen in my day. You began a work in terms of turning our people back. I want to see our people turn back. And I want to operate in double the measure of your anointing. Bold, crazy prayer. Bold, crazy prayer. Bold. Might we pray boldly? Might we pray boldly? Might we pray boldly? An earnest submitted loyalty is required to pick up the mantle of the Father. Vision is required to pick up the mantle of the Father. But the very last thing is this. Verses 11 through 15 depict this. In a word, it's readiness. Are you actually ready to walk in what it is the Lord has called you to walk in? Are you actually ready? I want you to hear this real loud and clear to me. Your purpose, your destiny, isn't really about a landing place as much as it's about a process. The process of forming you, molding you, shaping you. And then as you're ready, the Lord releases you. But until you're ready, until you're ready, if you're prematurely placed in position, you know what could happen? You're undercooked. And if you're undercooked, you can cause... What happens? What happens? What happens when you undercook? When you eat food that's not cooked? What happens? What happens, people? You could cause sickness, food poisoning, all sorts of stuff because you're not ready, and you're placed in position prematurely. Some of us long to be seen, 
and the word of the Lord to you is, how about you long to serve? Some of us feel like we're burning with this passion and this call to do a thing for the Lord. And what the Lord is saying to you is, shut up and submit. I want to be real clear here. Friends, there are mantles waiting for you to be in position and ready to pick up. Mantles on the ground. Are we willing to go through the process to go forward and begin to help usher in this new move of God that's forthcoming in our day as we've positioned ourselves to serve, to submit, to get clear vision from the Lord, and to allow his process to go forth. Friends, some of this is about learning how to tarry in prayer. Some of this is about learning to distinguish between your thoughts and your ideas that are good ideas, maybe even godly, and being able to tell the difference between that and being able to actually know what saith the Lord earnestly. There's process required here. And in the case of Elisha, it was 10 to 12 years. In your case, it might be 20. It might be 40. Are you willing to submit? Are you willing to submit? Loyally to God's process till he deems that you're ready. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than being in a place where you're frustrated and you're stagnant and you know that there's more. But if you're honest, you haven't truly positioned yourself to be elevated for the more. I want to just ask for a moment that you bow your heads and you close your eyes. Yeah. I want you to answer this question. While God is our heavenly father, who has the Lord placed here on the earth to be a spiritual father for you? While we didn't get into this today, the job of a son or a daughter is to cover a father and support a father, serve a father, cover their father's nakedness and blind spots. But the job of a father is to help shape and form a son and a daughter so that they could walk in the purposes for which they were created. The job of a spiritual father is to transfer 
spiritual DNA to the son. And what happens, just like in the case of Elisha and Elijah, during the process, the heart and the vision from the father is caught by the son and the daughter. Normally it's not taught, it's caught. The spirit is caught. First question I have for you, with your eyes closed, your heads bowed. Who's truly your spiritual father? Who's truly your spiritual daddy? Until you are aligned and submitted, you can't go forward. You're stuck in the same pattern. Fathers are invaluable. It's how God designed it from Genesis 1. Who's your spiritual father? Who's your spiritual mother? While this may be hard for some, you might have strained or non-existent relationships with your earthly parents and as such that puts a strain on truly submitting to a spiritual one. But make no mistake, family, until you do so, until you do so, you can't truly go forward as God has called you. So I want to pray today But today is truly about you being honest with you and resolving to realign accordingly. Today is about introspection. Today is about repentance and recommitment today is about realignment let's pray daddy we acknowledge you today acknowledging that you've laid out these examples for us to not just follow live out and embody oftentimes however we drift particularly at times when submission is hard our hearts cry today Lord is one of repentance our hearts cry today Lord is one of renewed surrender Lord what we acknowledge dear Father God is that while we know we're supposed to submit many a times everything in us feels like that's a force I pray in this hour particularly for the bridge that you might empower your children to recognize that the place of greatest strength and impact is, is when we're 
actually on our knees in submission to you and in submission to the headship that you've provided for this house. Lord, I pray, dear Father God, for alignment afresh, align, realignment afresh. Lord, that you have poured out, dear Father God, such giftedness and anointing, dear Father, and anointings, dear Father, in this room connected to this house for this region. And I pray, dear Father God, that these bones might align, that your spirit might breathe afresh and anew. as a people collectively we might repent and say daddy here we are Lord I pray even now that you might bring to mind dear father the specific areas the specific individuals specific relationships that need to be mended and repented so that realignment could come forth and that ultimately, Lord, that the body, Father, might stand firm and be able to run as you've given us charge. Lord, today we pray even more broadly for the church, capital C, church. Lord, what your word has taught us is that the gates of hell shall never prevail against your church. So, Father, we pray that in our day, we might see, dear Father God, lightning strike. And that as the body aligns according to your design, we might go forth in power as you've given us charge. We pray, dear Father God, for our brethren in the mainline denominations, we pray, dear Father God, for our brethren, dear Father God, all across the planet. May we as a people collectively learn what it means to submit, learn what it means to honor. And ultimately, Lord, on days like today, assess where we are and turn where we need to turn and go forward as you've given us charge. We thank you, Daddy. We thank you for what you're doing even now in the heart of the bridge. We pray, dear Father God, for fresh and new, renewed alignment to your glory. In Jesus' pre precious, 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 matchless name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.